This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk about my favorite passage in all of Scripture. It's from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and in three verses, I really find that Paul gives a distilled, just really simple version of the gospel. And so before I read it, I want to tell you kind of what's going on in this chapter because Paul's writing and he's addressing a problem that's happening in the church. There are people who they had gone into business together. We don't know exactly what it was. We don't know exactly what went bad. But something happened, and these people who were members of this church in Corinth wound up taking each other to court. And Paul's writing, and at the beginning of this chapter, he's saying, what's going on? Don't you understand that we're showing the people around us what it looks like to follow Jesus? And if as soon as something goes bad, things wind up going into a situation where we're taking each other to court, he said what we're telling the world around us is that when we talk about, hey, I'm a Christian and so my life is really focused on loving and forgiving and being joyful in the midst of suffering and all these positive things that we talk about, the transformation that God brings into our lives, he said when you're taking each other to court, what you're saying is, yeah, 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 I believe in all that stuff, but as soon as things go bad, that's not the way to go anymore. And so I'm throwing love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and all these things out the window because I got to get what's mine. And he says what that's doing is it's showing the world around like, oh, okay, I guess this stuff isn't for real. I guess this only works. This Christianity thing only works when life's going really good. And so Paul says, uh, wouldn't it be better for you in the midst of this stuff to allow yourself to be cheated rather than to fall into going, hey, uh, Christianity doesn't really work for me right now. And he says instead of allowing themselves to be cheated, they're turning and they're cheating each other because that's what we do, right? When we feel like we've been gotten the better of, We don't just try to make sure everything gets exactly right, exactly perfect, exactly even at the end of the deal. It's usually kind of a one-up sort of a thing. And so Paul's writing and he's saying, you know, instead of just kind of figuring this out, you're resorting to cheating and ripping off in lawsuits. And he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And like I said, those three verses right there, that's the gospel, isn't it? Paul starts with this list of all the things that people do that disqualifies us from living as part of God's kingdom, from inheriting the kingdom of God. And he goes through this list. And, you know, as we're hearing these ideas and hearing these words, I'm guessing that most of us that are listening right now go, yeah, that, that either is right now or that has been something on that list has been a part of my life. And I want to talk about this because I I think the way that Paul wrote this verse is an amazing thing because he writes this whole list of all these things that disqualify us from the kingdom of God. And then he writes that line. He says, and that is what some of you were. And I think that the way he wrote this, it really hits us kind of no matter where we are on our faith journey. Because for some of us, we've been around um, the church for a long time. And for some of us, we maybe are kind of new to this faith thing and we're going, I don't really know if God actually is going to offer me a second chance. I don't know if grace actually can be for real and really can be free. And I think if you're in that spot, if you're going, I'm, I'm just really struggling to believe that God can make me new. If you knew my background, if you knew my story, if you knew what I did, if you knew the addiction that I'm in the midst of, if you knew the brokenness that I leave in my wake. And I think that Paul wrote this passage. And if you're in that spot where you go, I, I just don't believe that God can offer a second chance to someone like me, then you can read this line this way. All these things that disqualify us from God's kingdom, and and that is what some of you were. Paul puts that in the past. And like I say, I know in the midst of it, it can be hard to believe that, but I want you to think for a moment about Paul's story. If you remember it, maybe you don't know it. I want to talk to you about it for a minute. Paul, uh, he wasn't always known by the name Paul. Before that, he was Saul. And he was a really, really high up religious figure in Judaism. And when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment. He was uh, the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised to the Israelite people for thousands of years. But not everybody believed that. And Paul, at the time Saul, was one of the guys who didn't believe it. And he said, no, Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's leading people away from following God. And so what Saul did is he spent his time going from city to city, and he was trying to get Christians, people talking about Jesus as the Messiah. He was trying to get them arrested. He was trying to get them tortured. He was 
present at one stoning, which was uh, just a public execution, a murder, essentially. And this guy met God. And his life was totally transformed. And if Paul, who had spent his life up to that point trying to stop the spread of Christianity, if God could transform him and give him a second chance, who better to be writing those words, right? There's none of us who can say, yeah, but you don't know my past. You don't know what I've been up to. You don't know what I'm kind of in the midst of right now. Um, when God met Saul on that road to Damascus, um, he was still breathing out murderous threats against people who were following Jesus. And God transformed his life. So if you're reading and you're going, or you're listening and you're going, man, I, I just don't see how it's possible. I don't see how there can be a change and that stuff can be in my past. That's what God does. I know it really doesn't make sense. And we start to think of all the ways that people have let us down when they told us something that sounded too good to be true. I'm guessing that most of you have either gotten the phone calls, they've been calling a ton lately on my cell phone, or gotten a letter in the mail. Uh, I don't think they do email, but maybe they do. I don't know. Those things that say, hey, congratulations, you've won a free vacation. We're going to fly you down to Florida. We're going to put you up at an awesome hotel. We're going to put you in uh, the Disney World Park or whatever different places. And all you have to do to get all this free stuff is you just have to come and listen to us try to make our little sales pitch. And they're usually trying to sell a timeshare, vacation property, something like that. And all, the only little catch is you just have to listen to us talk about selling this thing for a minute and then you can go on your way and you get this all, this whole trip for free. And I remember, I think I was probably 15, 16, somewhere in there, the first time that I saw a letter like that that came in the mail to my parents' house and I got so excited. I was like, Mom and Dad, this is crazy. We're going to Disney World. Oh, my word. And they're like, yeah, I hate to burst your bubble, but what you don't know about this is it's really not what it looks like. Um, if something seems too good to be true like that, then it is. I actually have a friend who, uh, you're not going to believe it as I get further into the story, he's given me permission to tell this story. But I'm still not going to tell you his name because, yeah, you'll see as I get into the story. So I live in West Michigan. I had a friend throughout high school. We kind of grew up together. And after high school, he moved down to Miami. He moved down there. He didn't have a job set up or anything. And he wound up, he was a good salesman. He wound up getting a job at one of these companies who offers the free trip, the free hotel, the free Disney World, all that stuff. If you just come meet with my buddy and listen to his sales pitch. And after he had done it, he didn't last that long in this company, thankfully. But he told me about how this went. 
because I, I asked him, I said, you know, I've been, I'm pretty stubborn. I think I could just cross my arms and sit there and, you know, get a free trip out of the thing. And he said, well, you know, it, it's a little more involved than that. He said, at first you come and you meet, you know, in a room with like a hundred people and someone comes up and kind of shares the big vision for this thing. But he said, after that, you have to go and meet either individually or as a couple, if you came with your spouse or your family or whatever, you have to meet Alan, he said, with somebody like me. And so I take you into a small room and I talk to you a little bit about um, this timeshare, vacation property, whatever it is. And I tell you about what a great deal it is and all that stuff. And I said, okay, well, still, that doesn't sound too bad. He said, well, you know, you got to understand before they sit down, they've already signed a piece of paper that in exchange for taking the airline flights, for taking the hotel stay, for taking the trip to Disney or whatever it is, he said, they've already agreed that they have to stay and listen to my entire sales pitch. And he said, what the fine print points out, but most people don't really notice, is that until I say the sales pitch is over, it's not over. And he said, I could actually keep people legally in that room for six hours. And I, I was blown away when he told me that. I'm like, wait, what? He said, yeah, six hours. He said, sometimes I would meet with them and say, yeah, you know, let me see if I can adjust the pricing. I'm going to go try to find my manager. And he said, I'd go to walk out the room and just remind them, hey, if you leave this room before I say this deal is done, um, you're going to have to pay for that whole trip, you know, the flights down here and the hotel stay and the trip to Disney and don't forget there's taxes on all that stuff and you know okay anyway so I'll go talk to my manager and I'll be back he said he'd leave the room and he sometimes would go and be gone for as long as an hour and a half he said he'd go sometimes and he'd watch a movie and not even talk to his manager and then come back in the room with these poor people and I said man how did you do this like how did you sleep at night that's horrible and he's like yeah I know that's why I wound up quitting you know because it was a terrible ripoff thing and I well that's at least good but when we think of what it looks like to get something for free when we think of what it looks like for something to be too good to be true that's the kind of stuff we think about right we go, well, I, I know that God claims to be different than people, but every time somebody said they were going to give me something for free, every time somebody said they were going to give me something that I didn't earn or didn't deserve or didn't do something, jump through enough hoops to get, I wind up getting burned. And maybe God's going to try to do the same thing. And I want to let you know, uh, from personal experience, from hearing from other people's personal experience time and time again, from reading through scripture and seeing how God meets people who are broken and hurting and have just left a path of destruction in their wake as they've gone through life and watch how God has brought 
transformation. It sounds too good to be true, but it's absolutely real. Our God is a God of second chances. And we can say with Paul, this whole list of all these things that kicks us out of being eligible for God's kingdom, that is what some of us were. It's in the past because of what Paul says next. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so for some of us, that's what we need to hear from this passage. That God doesn't define our future based on our past. That he wants to bring new life, new hope, resurrection of spirit. And he's able to do that in our lives. And for those of us that maybe have been around for a while, been in the church, and, and we experienced that change 15, 20, 40 years ago, sometimes we can fall into a different pattern. Uh, and that pattern is that we really, we totally buy in that God is willing to give us his grace and his second chances. But sometimes we start to think that the people who have hurt us don't deserve his second chances the same way. And we start to say, well, yeah, I mean, I know that when I experience this forgiveness and renewal and transformation for the first time, I know that God was, you know, he was reaching out and doing something in my life when I didn't deserve it. But there are some people I know that really don't deserve it, right? If we're totally honest, we sometimes think this way. And so we can read this passage and there's this huge list of all the things that disqualify people from God's kingdom. And it can be way too easy to start thinking, oh, that's right. Yep, th this person I know is, oh, yeah, they're out because of this thing. But then Paul writes, and that is what some of you were. It's the reminder that the grace that God wants to offer so freely to us, God wants to offer so freely to others, even the people who have hurt us. And when I think about this idea, I think about uh, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. You know this story. It's familiar. I, I was thinking about it, and I would say even if you've never, ever walked into a church, if you never went to Sunday school, if you've never read one word from the Bible, You've heard of Jonah and the whale, right? And so Jonah was a prophet that God called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire at that time in history was the biggest, baddest, strongest, most brutal army and nation that existed in the world. And in the ancient world, we talked about this before, it's so different than what we live in the midst of right now. But these thousands of years ago, 
the way that nations would expand and grow and rise to power, they were constantly at war with the nations around them. And in the midst of a bunch of warlike nations, the Assyrians were the most warlike. They were the most brutal. They were the most powerful because they just came and they took what they wanted. And they didn't just take it. Um, They really made sure that you had no chance to come back at them. Uh, They were known for going through and, and plowing salt into the fields of the nations who they had just conquered. Um, Salt would get into the soil and just destroy any chance for anything to grow in there for a long, long time. And they would do that so that you couldn't start to stockpile food and resources and maybe try to make a run at throwing off the oppression of the Assyrians. Uh, They were also known sometimes to gouge out one of the eyes of all the males in a nation that they had conquered because it makes fighting a lot harder. So you can't have an uprising if everybody that's in the place that's trying to rise up against you doesn't have really good depth perception and isn't going to be good in hand-to-hand combat or holding a shield or swinging a sword or shooting a bow and arrow. And they did even worse things than that, too. I'm not going to spend time talking about that, but if you know you can find that information available online or in books or whatever, they, they were barbaric in the way that they treated the people that they had defeated sometimes. And God called Jonah to go there and to tell them that Nineveh, the capital in Assyria by extension, um, God's punishment was going to come against them. Now, Jonah was living in a world where everybody would know exactly who the Assyrians were, exactly what it would mean to go to Nineveh. And we don't, we don't know exactly ahead of time if Jonah... Um, If he looked and he just said, hey, cool, I hope God punishes them. Um, So I'm just not even going to tell them. That way they don't have a chance. It's just going to happen. His punishment, his wrath is going to come, and then we're done. Or maybe he was terrified to go there because he was going to be entering um, the capital, the top place of the most barbaric people in the world, and he was going to be telling them news that they didn't want to hear. Whether they believed him or not, he was coming with bad news. And so maybe he was just terrified, like, ah, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to go because I don't think I'm going to make it out alive. So he took off in the opposite direction. He's running away from God, running away directly disobedient to what God asked him to do. And this is the part of the story that everybody, I'm guessing, is familiar with. Um, He's on a ship, and the the water gets rough, and he winds up convincing the sailors he's with that it's his fault, that God's trying to get his attention through this storm, and that if they throw him overboard, it'll stop. And they do, 
and it does. And that's where this whale, this great fish, comes and swallows Jonah. He's inside of the belly of this whale, and he's crying out to God and saying, God, I, I messed up. I'm sorry, and begging for forgiveness. And God uses um, this moment catching Jonah in this vulnerable, open, willing to surrender position to help him see where God's leading him and what God wants him to do. And so as Jonah is saying he wants to be obedient, this fish spits him out on the shore, and then Jonah heads into Nineveh, to the capital. And he goes through the streets of Nineveh, and he quote-unquote preaches. Um, but what he says is, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his whole sermon that's recorded in the book of Jonah. He travels throughout Nineveh, walking around and just yelling or preaching, I don't know, saying this. 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's not really giving a whole lot of effort, right? You'd think that moments after, days after, however long, God had spared his life miraculously. That Jonah would actually give a little bit more effort in being obedient right after that to what God asked him to do. But he goes through and he doesn't, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Doesn't tell him why. Doesn't tell him this is coming from God. Doesn't tell him a whole lot of anything. And word reaches the king. And he says, hey, who knows? Maybe if we repent, maybe if we change, God will spare us. And so he organizes in the whole city uh, fasting and mourning. And the people of Nineveh cry out and say, hey, we've, we've messed up. We've been evil. We've been wrong. And while this is going on, Jonah goes outside of the city and he gets kind of a front row seat so that he can watch how this city is destroyed. I don't know what he's got in his head, but I'm guessing he's picturing, you know, fire raining from heaven or something crazy. And he wants to have a front row seat and see the destruction that's coming. But just like God did for Jonah, God gives grace and God meets the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian people, and offers a second chance. And Jonah, his response to this is not um, maybe what you would expect to find in Scripture, but I think it is a really human response. He says, God, this is why I didn't want to go. He said, because I knew that you were gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and full of love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And he doesn't add it on there at the end, but you can pretty much hear in the way he's saying this that he wants to say at the end, and I'm ticked off about it because they don't deserve this. They don't deserve a second chance. 
And it can be really tempting for us to hear that story, to read the story, to think through what's going on there, and to think, wow, Jonah is messed up. Right after God gives him a second chance, he doesn't want anyone else to have it, or he doesn't want the people who have hurt him to have it. And then I started thinking about my own life. And I'm going to be pretty vague sharing some of this stuff that I'm going to talk about, but I want to talk about my own personal experience with this. Um, There was somebody who hurt me and a handful of people really close to me. And um, more the people really close to me, but me by extension. And I got really upset, uh, justifiably. If I shared the whole story, you would go, yeah, Alan, you had every right to be mad. And as days passed and turned into weeks and months, uh, one morning I woke up and when I was totally honest with myself, I had to admit that I hated this person. And I've been around the church, you know, I, my job is to go around and talk about God's forgiveness and love and grace and all these other things. As soon as I was honest and said that I hated this person, I, I knew that I had a problem. But I wasn't really, honestly, I wasn't really ready to let go of that. And so my journey toward forgiveness Uh, It started with me asking God, God, can you help me to want to want to forgive? Because I'm not even at a spot where I, I want to right now. And so I spent not a day or two, uh, not a week or two. I spent months praying and saying, God, can you, can you help soften my heart to a place that I even want to forgive? And over time, eventually, I got to a spot of wanting to work toward forgiveness. And then again, not days or weeks, um, but it was a while. I was praying, God, I pray that you'll help me to forgive. And slowly, God softened my heart. And God brought me to the point that if I ran into this person right now, We're not going to be best friends. We're not going to be close. We're not going to spend a whole ton of time together. Um, But I don't wish for bad things to happen in their life anymore. I'm not cheering for them to fail or to get in trouble or whatever outcome I, in my worst moments, had been hoping for. And I really think that the story of Jonah if it was me in his place, it was called the book of Alan, whatever. If I'm the person that's living out that story, I think the story would have looked really, really similar because it is so easy to say, God, thank you for giving me that second chance. Thanks for your grace in my life. And then as soon as somebody really hurts us, we start to think, well, God, I hope you're not going to forgive them. They definitely don't deserve it. And like Paul writes, it's a good reminder in those moments 
That is what some of you were. Because when we remember what God brought us out of, the brokenness and the hurt and the destruction in our wake that God met us in the midst of and offered a second chance for us, it helps us to remember in the midst of dealing with those who have hurt us, with moments where we don't think somebody else deserves God's grace, it's a good reminder to be told that's what some of you were. Because we've been there. We've experienced that grace. And we know that God wants to offer it freely to whoever, even the people who have hurt us. And today I hope that you found um, both a challenge and encouragement in this passage that, like I say, is Paul breaking down and giving the gospel in just a few verses. Because the reality is, no matter what we're in the midst of right now, God wants to offer his second chances. That is what some of you were. And no matter what might be going on around us, the way that people are treating us or hurting us or hurting those that we love or whatever it is, God is ready and willing to even offer those people doing the hurting, doing the offending, doing the damage, his second chances. That is what some of you and me were.